0: The world of sports ended the decade in fashion. Let us explain.
1: After 11 years without a major victory, Tiger Woods won the Masters. And Augusta National roars like never before.
0: There was the no call heard round the world.
1: Pass is incomplete,
0: no flag for Tommy Lee Lewis. Mikel Roby Coleman delivered a hit. Crowd's going crazy as there's no flag right on the Saints'
1: sideline. It was the most egregious missed call in the history of football. Houston, they had a problem. The team accused of using technology to steal signs
0: during their championship run in 2017. The Pats won their sixth championship, and the Blues won their first.
1: And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history! Liverpool raised the Champions League trophy after a 15 year hiatus. Novak
0: ousted Roger in a five hour final.
1: And Kawhi hit the shot. Kawhi Leonard hangs, fire shot up, it rims, and it rims, and it went in. Toronto wins 92 to 90. Are you kidding me? Suspended animation, a pause, and then the ball went in.
0: Whether you're a fan of sports or just a casual viewer, there was literally something. For everyone,
1: but 2019 also introduced us to some new names like Coco and Bianca.
0: Can you believe it? Bianca Andrescu is a U.S. Open champion.
1: Iwuma Kay and Ionescu
0: for Oregon today a triple double 23rd of her collegiate career. The all time record is expanded on by Sabrina Ionescu 24 points, 13 assists, and 10 rebounds.
1: Nurse Sarah, not Darnell, and Kendall Coyne Scorpio Skeeter, featuring Kendall These were just
0: a few of the stars in women's sports that captured our imagination. But we also saw league back their players. The WNBA and the Players Association, led by NECA, we've announced a long-term collective bargaining agreement that we've agreed to eight years. And a team... Take on their federation. The U.S. women's soccer team is now on their way back
2: to the United States after yesterday's huge World Cup win. And the crowd did not just erupt in this victorious roar for them, they also started chanting for equal pay. Equal pay! Equal pay! Equal the women's team sued, of course, the U.S. Soccer Federation for gender discrimination back in June, saying they should get the same pay as the men who
0: play the same game.
1: Women's sports created a lot of buzz over the last year. But with the current state of the economy and society, will this momentum that we've seen be halted?
0: Jaina Hefford is the operations consultant for Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. And Kia Nurse is a WNBA All-Star and a member of the Canadian National Basketball Team. They join us on this episode of the Sports Pause podcast.
1: If you're a lover of women's sport or hockey... Then Jaina Hefford is a name that certainly, you know, as a women's hockey player, she won multiple medals at the Winter Olympics and the Women's World Championships. She was a winner literally wherever she went. She won championships in the National Women's Hockey League and the Canadian Women's Hockey League. But she's a name you've heard lots of late. In 2018, she was inducted to the Hockey Hall of Fame and was named Interim Commissioner of the CWHL. In 2019, she was named an Order of Hockey Canada recipient. And last year, the Professional Women's Hockey's Player Association, or PWHPA for short, was formed. And the players, the membership asked Hefford to be the operations consultant of the association. And that is the context that we have her on today as a longtime staunch advocate for women's sports jaina thank you so much for joining us on sports on pause
2: yeah thanks for having me excited to chat with you guys
1: well let's start the chat with the group that you're working with now and then maybe broaden it how has COVID 19 impacted the pwhpa and its mission
2: well, you know, I think big overview, we're yet to know how substantial it will impact us. Um, but I think looking at the amount of momentum we feel we were able to create last season, A great deal of progress, I think, for women's hockey, um, working pretty closely with a number of NHL clubs. And of course, the NHL All Star weekend was, was a great way for the women's game to be on, on a big platform that a lot of people had an opportunity to see. And, um, so, you know, I think in many ways it's, it's disappointing to know that that momentum is on pause at the moment. But I also choose to believe that, you know, when we get through all of this as a society, that sports is going to be, a great way um, of healing for people. And I think people are going to come back to the arenas and the fields, and they're going to celebrate sports and athletes. And um, so, you know, I I hope we'll be able to pick up where we left off.
0: This is sort of an issue, I think, for all sports, but really one for some of the smaller sports, some of the niche sports. And that's how you can sort of stay current Mm -hmm. uh, amid this pandemic, and how you could still Continue to stay in the public's uh, in the public's mind, in the public's sort of uh, front-facing view. Have you um, and other women's hockey players, you know, the sort of the ones that are part of your organization, have you guys been able to do any kind of outreach during this, or like the rest of us, are you uh, shelter at home and you just got to write it out?
2: <laughs> well, we have some great. Uh, really great ambassadors and role models within our group and, and folks that uh, have great followings on social media and different things. So our membership has uh, been pretty active in that capacity. Um, in addition to that, I think that uh, a number of our partners have done really amazing things. And, you know, from Bauer Hockey, who started creating face shields for frontline health workers to Budweiser, uh, who's donating money to the Red Cross, um, all the money they would have invested in sport at this time. And so we just have partners that have really been active through this and we've been able to support that as well. So that's been a great opportunity, I think, for our players to Uh, you know, help on a bigger, bigger scale, but also stay relevant and stay visible.
1: This endeavor has been a leap of faith because your players have not been active playing the sport. The women's hockey championships was going to be an opportunity for them to play and be profiled at a high level and for your group to really get a lot of PR and momentum. How does the cancellation of the hockey championships impact what you were trying to do?
2: Yeah, the cancellation of the World Championships was obviously a a big disappointment for many reasons. Um, This was obviously one of the most challenging years for female hockey players. Uh, Many people forget that the Four Nations Cup was also cancelled for reasons. um, You know, labor disputes with the Swedish team who were the host country. Um, Of course, the league folding almost a year ago now. Uh, and anytime you can have a world championships in Canada, it would be in Halifax. Um, that's an opportunity to put women's hockey, you know, at the forefront of the news feed. Uh, lots of great broadcast coverage. And so, you know, obviously there's a disappointment from a player's perspective that you want to be there and, and you train all year to be at a world championships. But I think, you know, the opportunity was missed this year to really continue to build on the momentum our sport is. Was experiencing up until this happened. And thankfully, we will be back there. We'll be back in Canada next year for the world championships. But it certainly was a disappointing uh, season for many of the women.
0: Jada, one of the things that um, was pretty impressive by you guys is you were able to attract um, significant sponsors. You mentioned Bauer, I know Budweiser, Adidas, Dunkin' Donuts, Tim Hortons, you know, some major mm-hmm. sponsors. You didn't get a television deal, but you did get. Uh, You were able to stream games. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that is, you know, beyond obvious when it comes to this pandemic is that we're going to be in some tough waters when it comes to the economy for some time, both in the United States and in Canada. How worried are you uh, regarding the economy when it comes to getting similar sponsorship, the potential of a television deal or a media deal heading forward?
2: You know, I I think we're certainly very concerned, um, where the economy will be coming out of this. you know, obviously, as you say, coming from a, a sponsorship perspective, but additionally, um, you know, asking people to come in and purchase a ticket to watch the women play. So there certainly is concern there. Um, but I will say that we have partners that are, are very, very invested in what we're trying to do. And I think that their core values align well with what we're trying to do. So we believe that that we will have a number of our partners that will still be standing beside us and will continue to invest in us and what we're trying to achieve Um, but I do think that you know it'll be more difficult and you know we've worked with a lot of NHL clubs last season and you know would like to do the same this year and you know everybody's sort of got to figure out I guess their own home first so those conversations will be challenging but you know I I think that investments will still need to be made they'll just be maybe a little bit tougher to get done.
1: You mentioned the word momentum and that's kind of the way I felt about women's sports as a whole over the last 365 days or so. The WNBA Mm -hmm. had that landmark CBA agreement. The U.S. women's national team is fighting for equal play. We've seen, whether it's Bianca Andrescu or Sabrina Ionescu, some talented female athletes become stars overnight. What message would it send? As you mentioned, a lot of this is done based off of economics if some male sports return to play, the NBA, for example, NCAA basketball for another, but the women's side of things, WNBA and female athletics don't return in the same way because the profit margins are not the same. What sort of a message would that send in light of the momentum that you have seen recently?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a a very negative message to send. I think, you know, in addition to the momentum that women's sport has created, I think it's a, a momentum within society that, um, you know, things are and have changed in the last number of years in the way we we value women and we value gender diversity and and all of those things. So I think, you know, society-wise, those things exist. And um, so that, that would be disappointing if that were the case. I don't envision that being the case, but you know, there's obviously an argument to the profit generation at a male sports. And, you know, as a female sport, we are still relying on the investment to help it grow. Um, and that's probably the biggest difference with the women in the men's game is that, um, we still need an investment to grow where the men's game is there at a, a profit generating position. So, um, you know, I, I think we have to wait and see what happens, but um, I do believe there'll still be investment in women's sports. And again, it's frustrating that the the momentum is on a pause, but I, I do hope that it'll, it'll pick up. And I think people value women and female athletes in a different way than, you know, even three, four years ago.
0: Jane, for any uh, young aspiring hockey players out there, uh, do you have any tips on how to stay sharp during a pandemic? <laughs>
2: Well, you know, I I think this is a really great opportunity, actually, for a number of athletes, and, you know, especially the the high level athletes to really focus on areas that they need to get better at. Um, I think you can really specialize your training right now, I think for those high end athletes to uh, have some rest and recovery and some downtime that they generally don't get in season and the demands on their life outside of sport, especially when it comes to female athletes, they tend to you know, have a lot more going on in addition to their their sports. So I know our members are, are staying very active. Um they're sharing a lot of, you know, fun, creative workout stuff online. And, you know, I think people have a lot of time to focus on areas in their life that they want to get better at. And um, you know, for those young hockey players, uh, there's lots of great things you can find, workouts and and skills and different things that uh will certainly help you in the in season. But I think we all have to look at this as, as hopefully a temporary thing. And um, sometimes those breaks can be of a value to athletes.
1: There has been much discussed during this break about the mental health of athletes during the COVID pause and really the mental health of all of us. Your athletes were already somewhat on pause before this happened. I'm interested to hear about mm-hmm. some of the challenges and maybe the ways that you can support and help manage the mental health of the female players during this uneven period both in the world but in their careers?
2: Well you know our group as I mentioned earlier has it's been a really challenging year uh, for women's hockey since the closure of the CWHL and, and the cancellation of the Four Nations Cup and the World Championships and our athletes are incredibly resilient and that's what uh, they're built for as, as female athletes I think their entire lives have prepared them mentally to be strong like that but on the flip side of the coin it's challenging for athletes especially you know an olympic athlete where you really focus on events and you focus on dates and you know we have summer athletes that now their whole olympic training has shifted and our winter athletes our hockey players are still focused on the next olympic games but it's hard with with that uncertainty so you know i think one of the things i've learned through sport is the value of really sort of staying present and focusing on you know what you're doing today to be better, but never losing sight of of that goal. And uh, for us with the PWHPA, we have a really strong mission of what we're trying to do and trying to drive awareness towards the need for a professional hockey league. And our athletes know that they have to do that through engagement with young h- hockey players through, you know, the way they train, the way they represent the sport and all those things will continue. So they'll, you know, I think they have a day to day focus on finding ways to grow the game and then they have the fo- their individual focus on, on how they train. So as you said, we're all, we're all figuring this out. There's no handbook on how to, mentally prepare for times like this but you know i think the the unity within the hockey community is really strong and and i think we all rely on each other to keep each other healthy and and strong mentally
0: You referenced this earlier in our conversation on how the NHL incorporated uh, PWHPA players into the uh, All-Star Game, All-Star Weekend, I should say. (laughs) And it strikes me that this is just an unbelievable opportunity for publicity for you guys, as well as makes the NHL All-Star Weekend, I think, that much more interesting and that much more diverse. I wonder if you could just um, talk about where that relationship is and where you hope that relationship would be. Because I I feel like the NHL is pretty progressive and a leader when it comes to bringing in the equivalent women's game into their showcase. We've seen the NBA do that a little bit, but I I feel like the NHL actually may be really, really ahead of everybody here.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think in different areas, um, certainly the NHL in, in bringing in, you know 20 players at last year's all-star game and and giving the women their own you know spotlight of their own game within the all-star weekend was something that I don't know that we've seen that before the WNBA and the NBA certainly you know we consider leaders in in many other aspects in terms of you know the investment they've been making in them for now 23 years and um, you know we we see the way the game is but We haven't been shy to say that, you know, when we look at other women's professional sports, the only ones that have survived and have been successful on some level are the ones that are aligned with established men's leagues that can rely on the resources, the infrastructure that already exists. So we look at the WNBA and the NBA, and we look at, The NWSL and their affiliation with the MLS teams and US Soccer and Soccer Canada, and um, we know that that's the only way this game can truly grow is is with that investment of the infrastructure. And so we, of course, you know, want to work with the NHL and and know that 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 is a huge investment they will need to make should they choose to create a women's league. But the way we see it is that infrastructure has to be a part of the next stage of the women's game.
1: So having said that what can they do tangibly? What more would you like to see? I think when people have this conversation, they often phrase it as, you know, a established league with men playing in it, giving a handout to female leagues, but what real opportunities are there for a league like the NHL to, to take advantage of and and help their own bottom line?
2: I mean, you know, I, I love that you said that because I think a lot of people assume it's a handout and we don't see it that way at all. Um, sport needs to be invested in and the women's game has never had an investment in it. And, you know, I I would have to assume that when the men's league started, regardless of sport, it takes a while and it takes a big investment to start turning a revenue. So we understand that won't happen right away, but we do believe that there's great business reasons why you do it. Uh, Hockey is a sport that is declining in enrollment, that is relatively expensive to join as a young child. And so I think by cutting out you know, 50% of a population from playing the game, you know, that impacts the health of the game. And not to say that, you know, they're cutting them out. But if if girls don't see women playing at the highest level, they don't see it as a realistic um, future for them. And I have daughters myself, and, and I see the biases that they start to come home with my, my oldest is seven years old. And she has a lot of biases of what she sees and what she thinks is normal and realistic. And So we think the only way to keep young girls in sport longer, which we all know, so many studies have shown the value and the leadership qualities that we see in women that end up being successful in business and communities comes through sport. So for all these reasons, it makes sense to have a professional women's league. Now, the infrastructure piece, that's the key piece because they already have the facilities. Many of the facilities aren't being used at maximum capacity. Um, You know, they already have PR people and ticketing people and marketing people in place. And those are things that to get the game to the next level, you need all of that. So I'd like to think that the NHL would look at it as as a business opportunity to grow their fan base, to improve the health of the game and to eventually be able to turn a profit. I think when, you know, when we talk about the economy and where it's going to be coming out of this current situation, um, you know, going to NHL games is difficult for many people. And certainly if you want to bring a family, so potentially a women's league is a different demographic of people that would be able to attend those games and would be able to bring their families to those games. And listen, the demand we see, at the Olympic games and how many people watch those games on television the demand we see coming out of NHL all-star weekends, people want to watch the women's game, but there just is an opportunity to do it often enough. So we believe there's good business reasons to do it, not simply just as a handout to the women.
1: When we have these conversations, I personally always think of the nurse family and, you know, look at Sarah nurse. She's One of the best players in the world uh, and she has a cousin in darnell who's also one of the best players in the world but the amount that they make from their trade is vastly different and the only real difference is not their level of skill or their investment it's their chromosomes Mm -hmm. their sex or their gender one of the things you were first fighting for was a livable wage for your players so that they could truly be professionals i wonder now the concerns that you're hearing from your membership what are they and how are you helping them manage the the fiscal realities that we all are trying to struggle with via this pandemic
2: well most female hockey players and and certainly within our membership you know don't get paid anything substantial enough that they've lost (laughs) at this point through the pandemic Um, the only female hockey players that earn decent revenue are those ones that play on the national team. So, you know, the top 25 players in Canada and the top 25 players in the U S and, you know, players around the world, the top players in each country, but beyond that, um, you know, they're not making any wage from us. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a disappointing part. And, you know, when you talk about Sarah and, and Darnell and, um, you know, Sarah's told a great story I heard it and it really resonated with me when she told the story, but, just how people treated them differently as as young kids and you know they were uh, relatively brought up in a similar environment but you know people would ask Darnell what he wanted to do when he grew up and he'd say he wanted to be a hockey player and people would say that's great and work hard and go for it and when they asked her the same question and she said she wanted to be a hockey player they would answer well that's great but what else do you want to do and those are the things that we're trying to change. Why a young girl should not be able to dream to be a hockey player or dream to be a basketball player or a soccer player. And to cut that out of their realistic future at a young age simply because it doesn't exist. And, you know, again, it comes back to what we all value that we gain through sport. And, and it goes beyond sport into our business and our societies. And so that's one of the reasons we want to change things is that the perception we give young girls at a very young age is detrimental to their
1: future. Well, sport can be a force multiplier and an agent of change. And thankfully, you've continued to have this conversation. So we can look at each other honestly as country or really as a globe and maybe through sport change the way we perceive over 50% of the population. Uh, Hopefully you're able to continue to do that despite the harsh realities of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you so much for taking the time to give your perspective.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. I appreciate it.
1: Richard, all businesses are really challenged Right now, and when I look in the sports landscape, we heard from Jana herself the business of female sports has an uphill battle. And the business she's running, the PWHPA, for the meantime, until they have a contract with a TV partner and are a little bit more solid, they're running like a non for profit. And I actually remember an agent once telling me that female athletes they're basically run like small businesses and male athletes are run like corporations and they're the CEO of that corporation. So when you look at the challenges for the leagues to stay relevant, or in this case, to start up again, what about the individual athletes themselves and them staying relevant and them being small business partners? I love Jaina's perspective. and That's why I'm really interested to hear what Kia has to say.
0: As you mentioned, Donovan, Kia Nurse will be our next guest. And the issues with the WNBA are the issues that every sports league is facing now. Can they play this year? Will they figure out a way and a contingency plan to make it work? Do they have enough tests for their players? Puts players like Kia Nurse, who is a prominent player in the WNBA, in a very, very interesting position, and she joined us to talk about it on the Sports on Pause podcast. Kia Nurse is an all-star guard for the New York Liberty of the WNBA. She's a member of the Canadian Olympic women's basketball team. She plays overseas in Australia in Canberra. I think people who are women's basketball fans know she was part of uh, the University of Connecticut and uh, one of their many terrific teams under head coach Gina Auriemma. And she's also part of one of the great athletic families in Canada. Go hit the Google machine, type Kia Nurse in. And you'll see all her relatives. Kia Nurse joins us on the Sports on Pause podcast. And Kia, let's start here. First, where are you now? What's your day-to-day life? And and how is your family? And are they healthy and safe?
3: Um, Yeah, fortunately, my family is healthy and safe. We are um, in Hamilton in Canada. Um, At our family home, well, I am at least. My siblings are around. But it's um, been pretty interesting on the day-to-day side. Just pretty much wake up, work out, and then, you know, do some media stuff during the day. Uh, If I'm doing some analyst stuff, I do that as well. So um, it's been a pretty boring time. I'm not going to lie.
1: Yeah. This is the one area where we're all kind of the same, us media members, the fans listening, and elite athletes like you, we're all kind of bored. When did you realize, okay, this is different, this is much more serious, and what was the process in terms of you know, deciding where you're going to be for this period uh, and coming back home?
3: Um, well, I was actually just completed my Australian season, so technically I was supposed to be home for this month anyways before I got going to New York to start the WNBA season, so this was kind of pretty easy. I was already here. I got back probably like two weeks before all the travel ban stuff started happening, but uh, it's been pretty, pretty nice to be home as a women's basketball player. We're not really home more than a month a, a year. So um, it's been really, really interesting to to have some time off and to spend some extra time with family. But I'm fortunate for that part, at least.
0: Kia, okay, if you're someone like, uh, you know, LeBron James or Kevin Durant, I imagine you're wealthy enough where you have a basketball court either on your property or perhaps even in your house, depending on the level of wealth you have for an elite basketball player such as yourself, who, you know, might not have a court inside your house. How do you stay sharp? How does one train in your position right now?
3: Yeah, um, not a whole lot of of stuff going on, obviously for women's basketball players. It's a little bit different than the men. I have never really realized that I I need a house because to be honest, I live in three different countries around the world and I'm there for probably three or four months at a time. So there's no point in me having a house anywhere. And it's kind of been interesting. You kind of just go outside. And fortunately, my neighbors have a rim. So they've been very nice about letting me use that if I need to. But I've kind of kept the mindset that I've been doing this for 20 years. So I'm not going to forget how to shoot if I'm not shooting every single day. I'm not going to forget how to run or dribble or pass. So I've been taking the time to make sure that my body's all right. I'm not trying to push myself too far to the point where, you know, joints start hurting or I get injured because there really is no end date to this offseason. season. So that's kind of been interesting and in trying to stay in, in shape and trying to stay focused and ready to go.
1: There's two parts of physically being at your best and staying in shape. One is the training, working out. The other is what you're putting into your body. During this quarantine period, how have you mm-hmm. managed to, I guess, be a chef for yourself and maintain you know, the healthy meals that you'd expected to have as an elite athlete?
3: it's been interesting because now I'm at home and typically I'm on my own. So I kind of just cook my meals and know what I'm having a day in advance or if I'm cooking them for like meal prep or whatnot. When I'm here, obviously I'm in the house with my parents. So my mom does a lot of the cooking. It's kind of like moving back in. So I think it's been interesting to kind of see what she wants to make on some nights. And then I kind of throw some stuff in there um, and they try it. I give them all the the bravery in the world because I do try my food. I'm not the best of cooks. Uh, but it's been definitely interesting to to see. I, I obviously have had a lot of extra time. So I've tried a bunch of different new recipes and some new cauliflower rice recipes and they've been actually really good. So it's been about more cutting portions and not eating as much because I'm not burning as many calories because I don't have practice during the day. Um, so that's kind of been the big adjustment food-wise.
0: How have you educated yourself during this time? And if you want to sort of go into it, perhaps the WNBA and or other places are sort of providing you with uh, the education that you need in terms of the coronavirus. But I wonder just what you have done on your own, because I think that would give us insight into sort of professional athletes trying to educate themselves in the event that their leaks ultimately will start again.
3: Yeah, we've just kind of been pretty close, staying up to date with what's going on. Obviously, here in our house, we watch the news we're pretty cautious of what information that we are consuming. Um, just understanding that with social media, it's so easy for people to put out something and then they get all the viral clout that they always wanted. And obviously um, with what had happened with the COC and the Olympics and the IOC and the cancellation, um, there's been some phone calls with the COC and listening to the medical professionals that work there. Uh, that's kind of been really easy for us. Zoom meetings are pretty simple. And then listening to the the health advice from Not only the national team doctors with Canada Basketball, but also the doctors that we have with the New York Liberty and kind of listening to the health professionals and what we're looking forward to or not looking forward to in the WNBA, depending on obviously how things move forward. So it's been a lot of kind of trusting the people that are in my circle and the people that, you know, run and control the leagues that I'm supposed to play for, um, because I believe that they are going to put the best interests of their players and their staff first.
1: Obviously, nobody wants leagues and events to be postponed or in some cases cancelled. But before that happened with the WNBA season and the Olympics, did you feel comfortable going into those scenarios if they were going to continue and you'd be playing?
3: It's a tough call, right? Um, you know, I think they're both pretty different situations. Obviously with the Olympics, like you're not guaranteed that and and you know that and you don't have the opportunity every four years to just say, oh, yeah, we're going to the next Olympics. Like when you finally get there, when you go to Belgium and qualify for the Olympics, then you're guaranteed that spot. You're thinking, "Okay, we have another chance to play in an Olympic Games. So if they would have said, like, you have to go if you want to play or you want to compete, I think that would have been a tougher decision to make than saying, "Okay, we'll come to New York right now for the WNBA. I've seen what's happening in New York. It's obviously not the safest place to be right now in terms of health you know, there there will be another WNBA season next year and the year after that and the year after that. So it would have been probably more of an easier decision on that front. Either way, like playing basketball is a huge part of who I am. It's literally my um, livelihood. It's how I survive. So uh, it would have been a tough decision for sure. But health and safety of everybody, I think, comes first and foremost. So I'm glad that the league made the right decisions there.
0: Kia, what are you hearing from uh, the WNBA Players Association, from league officials, from your teammates about potential contingency plans for the WNBA to somehow get games in in 2020?
3: Uh, hearing a little bit about everything, um, obviously what you guys know is pretty much what we know. If we know anything, we know a little bit more, and it's probably not that much. I would say it's pretty similar to what's happening with leagues all around the world in terms of you know the NHL and the NBA and trying to find out, is a clean site the best thing to do? Um, I'm sure there are a lot of holes in in a clean site as well. Can we find a way to kind of push things back a little bit? WNBA, I think, gets a little bit more leeway and is a little bit luckier in the sense that we had already had a planned month-long break for the Olympics. So that gives us an extra month where we can push our schedule into that. And at the same time, we are much smaller than most leagues. There's only 144 players. Uh, 12 teams, and then obviously your staff. Being able to have a clean site for us would be a little bit easier just because we're not enormous, but it also has a lot of holes. So you know, I hear they're talking about you know, 30-day contingency, 60s, 90s, to see how that goes. But women's basketball players also have to pay attention to what's happening overseas because if they do call those leagues back in, that's a lot of our players that have to go back and play in those leagues.
1: Well, it's actually my next question in terms of shifting the calendar that's one thing you can do with the NBA or the NHL but many female players play in two leagues and so what would the decision process be like if the calendar is switched where the leagues in in Europe and overseas are at the same time as the WNBA how would that play out
3: it'd be interesting to be honest Um, for me personally I'm I've decided not to go overseas for the next year That was something I decided before all this kind of happened. Um, So I'm glad that, you know, I personally had a contingency plan in place for it. But, you know, it's tough because the WNBA, obviously, we had that groundbreaking CBA this year that came out, upgrades all across the board, including on the money scale. I do think the younger kids might continue to benefit from going overseas just in terms of getting experience and playing the game and understanding that the WNBA is the toughest league to stay in because there's not so many spots um, but it's also super lucrative for the younger kids. Obviously, you saw the CBA on the upper side with the, the veterans. They absolutely have the decision not to have to go anywhere. But it would be interesting, especially because seasons haven't technically ended for the Euro Cup and the Euro Women stuff. They've just been suspended. So we have a lot of players that are under contract. So does that contract kind of conflict with the WNBA? How does that work? i not exactly sure how they would come up with contingency for that.
0: Kia, amid this conversation, I did want to ask you something significant that happened regarding your WNBA franchise, and that's the New York Liberty. There was a major, major trade that involved uh, sort of the Liberty's foundational player for many, many years, Tina Charles, former University of Connecticut player as well, who got dealt. And then the Liberty had the number one overall pick this year and drafted Sabrina Ionescu, a terrific guard from the University of Oregon who has probably emerged as one of, I think, the more popular women's basketball players in the world, given her association with Kobe Bryant and given how well Oregon did. I don't know how well you know Sabrina or how many times you may or may not have played against her, but what are your thoughts about uh, her coming to the Liberty and her coming to Brooklyn?
3: Yeah, super exciting. Obviously, I think it's a great market for her to be in. Like you said, she is one of the more popular women's basketball players, so I think she's going to continue to bring visibility and popularity to a game to the game in a different way than we've seen before Um, in New York and that market is a great place to do that I think she's super talented and super skilled and in what she proved in college to be um, obviously with the records and triple doubles and the first player to 2000 1000 1000 you know she's great in that sense so I'm very very excited to have her on our team I played against her once I believe in sophomore year um, in the elite eight and uh, it's It'll be good to have her on our team this time.
1: One thing you and Sabrina have in common um, as high level female players is partnerships, the ability to make some income outside of just your employment from the teams and leagues. What has COVID-19 or the potential of this being prolonged? What does that do to your ability to foster relationships corporately um, and make income that way?
3: Yeah, it's a little bit slower right now, obviously, than what it has been. I'm very, very fortunate to be in the position that I am, especially being from Canada, it makes it a little bit different. You know, the US market is pretty flooded with great basketball players and, you know, C-Birds, Diana Taurasi's, Brianna Stewart's, you know, and Canada is a little bit of a smaller market. So it's been really awesome for me. I've had a great team behind me at Cimarroni and company um, who do all the marketing deals for me, and they've been really awesome about it. But it's definitely kind of slowed things down a little bit. Obviously, all companies are, are dealing with what's happening right now. Um, you know, the ones that I've already had relationships with, um, they've been really amazing about what's happening in COVID and really open and communicating with me what the next steps are, but it's been tough. And I think if we can continue for women's basketball players to find money on the marketing side, then maybe they don't have to go overseas as much anymore. So it's been interesting, but it definitely has slowed down since COVID started.
1: With the movement and momentum the female game has had whether it's the CBA or increased viewership numbers last season it seems like the WNBA is in a really good place to thrive but if the NBA happens to come back this summer and obviously lots of arenas are shared and the WNBA kind of falls by the wayside because of it What do you think in terms of that message that might send if if the WNBA season is canceled in wake of the NBA resuming its season in the summer?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think we have made a lot of progress. It's been slow, and I think there's still a long way to go. But the progress that we've made has been pretty monumental this year, especially with the CBA and, and what was accomplished there. You know, I can't ever see the WNBA being canceled, especially if the NBA and the NHL and other large leagues find a way to get going this season there's no way that the WNBA and Kathy Engelbert and the people who run our league would cancel it. They would just find a way like the contingency plans that I've heard them saying definitely have uh, the understanding that the arenas are now just going to be flooded if all of these teams are coming back at the same time. Um, So how do we find a way to play and not fall between the cracks? And I think they're really looking at that. Um, So I, I don't think it would send a great message, obviously, if they just put us in the back burner, but I can't really see them doing that
1: if any of those leagues come back, there's a good chance when they do, it'll be without fans as a competitor and someone who, you know, is often, you know, exciting those fans. What would that scenario feel like for you?
3: Yeah, I think it'd be a little sad. Um, Obviously, the best part about being out there is not only fighting with your teammates and going to war with them every single day, but The fans and and being able to have a fan base that's exciting obviously we just in new york moved to barclays center so that was going to be a big change for us and hopefully we saw a lot of familiar faces but got some new ones as well you know i I think they add something to the game obviously when you're at home they're like the sixth man on the court for you guys um when you're on the road i mean it's really fun to try and shut up a, a road crowd So I think it'd be really different, but at this point, I think just because we understand the health and the safety of everybody is of the utmost importance and I'm dying to play something, um, you'd kind of probably just have to go with it and it'd just be a little weird.
1: Not only do we not have pro basketball right now, we don't have youth basketball and I'm really afraid of the future of youth sports. You have a youth team, Kia Nurse Elite. What are you saying to those young female basketball players at this time?
3: Yeah, it's been tough to, you know, obviously understand that youth sport is gone right now as well. Um, I've had a Zoom call with my Key Inners Elite girls. There were so many of them on there. It was amazing to see all their faces. And uh, I let them ask whatever questions they wanted to. I let them go wild. They said life, basketball is all, everything's on the table. And, and they asked a lot of great questions. And, you know, to them, I, I said the same thing. Like everybody here right now is in the same boat. So if you're worried about, you know, Am I going to lose a spot? Am I not going to be good enough when this comes back in? You have to remember that everybody's kind of stuck in the same boat. Nobody's in the gym practicing right now. Um, You can only do what you can do from home. You know, I said to them, this is a reminder for a lot of people that, you know, sports is a privilege and sports doesn't last forever. If you're lucky, you have a pro career that goes beyond four or five years, but most players don't get that opportunity. So learn something new, read a book, do something different, understand that the ball is going to stop bouncing at some point, but what you're learning right now, the life skills that you're learning and the teamwork and the communication and the commitment and dedication, all that stuff's going to transfer over to whatever you want to do in life. But it's okay to understand that at, at sometimes you can have an identity that isn't a basketball player. And sometimes I think for the youth that becomes difficult, especially when you know, you're know you specializing and, and people are hyping you up and all they know you as is a basketball player. I dealt through that. Um, so that was kind of my big advice to them.
1: Well, it's a privilege for us basketball fans to watch you. It's a privilege for us on the Sports on Pause podcast to get a bit of your time. Hopefully you have the privilege of playing in front of packed arenas again sometime soon. But until then, enjoy shooting on the neighbor's rim and cutting down those meal portions.
3: (laughs) Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me on. Stay safe.
0: Well, Donovan um, Nurse is one of the thoughtful spokespeople for a league of thoughtful spokespeople. And I thought she gave us some really interesting insight into where her mindset is and her desire, obviously, to play again. This would be a massive year in the WNBA with so many stars back from injury and so much expectations. And like so many leagues, Donovan, we don't know right now if they're going to play
1: not only do we not know if they're going to play what have we heard in terms of them being close to playing any measures every little detail in terms of the return to practice facilities for NBA players has been highly scrutinized and reported we haven't heard anything from the WNBA and we haven't heard that they've been on a league-wide call with the players and the commissioners. so again It seems like that is on the back burner right now, which is not necessarily a good sign. But something we want to keep front of mind, both in this podcast and personally, um, is the plight of women, not just in sports, but in the coronavirus pandemic. And that brings us to our last word. And since this podcast is coming out a day after Mother's Day, and Richard, I think I speak for both of us when... I say that we are allowed to be able to do this because we have the backbone of great wives and mothers who allow us to do this work. That actually informs two of my um, last word picks. One is, it's an article by Forbes, and the title is, what do countries with the best coronavirus responses have in common? Women leaders. When you look at Germany, Taiwan, New Zealand, Iceland, Finland, Norway, Denmark, they are all led by females. So... Is that a coincidence? Uh, I I think there's a a common denominator that makes sense and they are many times the the wiser and the smarter of the genders. And the other thing that I wanna point out, and this is a topic that's been written about in many different places. People, Refinery29, CTV News did a piece on it. It's that women bear most of the burden when it comes to the coronavirus. When you think about it, a lot of the essential jobs that are being done, are done uh, disproportionately by women, nurses, people who work at pharmacies, people who work at grocery stores. All of those are female dominated positions. And then naturally, mothers take on most of the domestic work at times. Plus, they're now being asked to be teachers as well because kids aren't in school. So there's a couple of really good looks at the extra burden that this virus has put on women specifically. Again, I mentioned it's been written about a bunch of places, but The Lancet has a good one on the gender dimensions of COVID-19. Another good place to read about that very topic is the burdens of the coronavirus pandemic are largely falling on women. That's by Triple Pundit, the blog. So again, as we say, thank you to our female guests and we hope to profile more females on this podcast. In the future, continue to tell that story. Certainly the story of women doing the dirty work in our society is being told out through the virus. That's what stuck out to me. What about you?
0: Those are some good ones, Donovan. Um, I want to give a uh, shout out to ESPN, the American Sports Network, on Sunday morning, the morning of Mother's Day. They did a feature called Heroes. It's under their uh, Sports Center featured brand. And the conceit was to honor mothers who are on the front lines fighting COVID-19, and specifically those in the New York area, given the severity of COVID-19 there. And they ultimately found two doctors, including actually one who is Canadian, and a nurse practitioner. And in addition to an ESPN reporter interviewing these people who are on the front lines of COVID-19, there was a surprise. And the surprise was their favorite athletes popped on camera. So in the midst of the interviews with the, with the doctors and the nurse practitioner, up popped Kyle Lowry of the Toronto Raptors, Roger Federer, of uh, tennis fame, Derek Jeter, now the owner of uh, one of the owners of the Marlins, and obviously a Hall of Famer for the Yankees, and Eli Manning, and it was just um, it was a pretty cool way to um, sort of honor these three women who have uh, been working so hard during COVID nineteen, and to see the surprise on their face was uh, was very cool. And kudos to ESPN who worked with a company to shoot this in a contactless studio so that social. Uh, distancing and and safety was uh, prominent, but uh, they're all on YouTube at ESPN and Google. Things like uh, Kyle Lowry, COVID 19, ESPN, Roger Federer, COVID 19, ESPN. They will pop up. But uh, the Sports Center featured heroes feature that aired Sunday morning Mother's Day. Terrific work by ESPN.
1: Well said, Richard. As debilitating as the stress of this situation has been, it's been really nice to see the human spirit conquer all. And those pieces are a great example. Having said that, you yourself, stay safe, take care of yourself and others.